and the book club is in session. The number is 1300 222 702 or else text us on 199 The slightest thought, the slightest diversion that you'd like to take us on, it's a typical book group. It can go anywhere. The convener, the co-convener is Geordie Williamson, who's our literary critic. Good morning, Geordie. Morning, Dad. Thank you very much. Now, you chose Peter Temple's Truth. Absolutely. And, um, you know, I mean, it's quite an extraordinary book. You have to, it, it, this time around, I thought it's a little bit like a Lacare novel in that you have to sort of plunge in and just trust that you don't quite understand what's going on at first, but everything will come together. And indeed it does. It's a beautifully plotted book. Now, the, a little synopsis, I suppose, would be handy at this point. All right. Uh, it's Melbourne. Uh, it's a terrible fire season. Um, the head of homicide, a man named Stephen Villani, is faced with a murder. A young woman has died in a very expensive apartment block. Um, there are powerful people involved in this building and the casino that it sits atop, and they don't want him to find out who has actually committed the crime. Across town, three hoods have been found tortured and murdered. Somehow, the two... Um, acts of violence are connected and it's up to Villani to negotiate um, a very tangled political web to find out who's done it. All right. Now, what did you think? one three hundred triple two seven zero two. Elaine, did it work for you? No, no, it didn't. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I hated it. Did you? Um, yes, I did. Um, I... Uh, uh, the language was appalling, and um, do you mean it, the swearing? It, yes, I do, and um, it, it may be appropriate uh, as far as the story is concerned and the characters are, are concerned. But I, uh, I find it difficult to believe that the um, police in Melbourne would would speak so badly as that so often, all the time. Um, not only that, I, I thought the um, the writing itself, that, that, that staccato kind of uh, use of language, it, it kind of verbal shorthand um, without the use of pronouns and, and verbs, just phrases all the time. Um, I didn't find that believable either. Uh, and um, I, I just, I, I just couldn't understand how it could possibly have won the Mars Franklin Award. I think it's a really fair point you're making. And there was one review uh, that appeared in a British paper that said, "Look, there are some great things about this novel, but what I cannot believe is that it's so unremittingly dark." all the way through. And I think you've picked up on something there that, in fact, if it had been balanced by a little bit of lightness, it it might have actually drawn the, the shocking parts into starker relief. But, um, yes, the syntax is strange. I'll grant you that. Thank you very much, Elaine. Great to get your thoughts. Thank you. Um, stay Bye-bye. tuned because we'll have a new book of the month announced very soon as well. Suze, good morning. Hello, Deb. How are you? Good, thanks, Suze. Now, what's your response? Oh, I agree. In some parts, it was difficult to read at first, but I persevered. And I, I think it only took me 50 pages before, before I sort of got into the way of speaking. And I found the um, language appropriate for the police. And I think also the greyness of all the characters, which were often trying to do the right thing, but not able to or 
some, some way compromised was like real people. I thought they were like real people, real police, trying to do the right thing. The cops were sometimes black, sometimes not so black. And um, I, I adored it. I loved it. I'm on to the fourth one now. I've, <laughs> I've actually found a really rich theme of reading that I'm thoroughly enjoying. Um, but sometimes I find myself having to go back, you know, a few pages to work, who was that character or what's going on now. But it's not drip-fed to you. It's Sorry, it's not given to you on a plate. It's drip-fed. So you've got to actually wait until the information is provided. And then you've got to use that. And it's, it's like a puzzle you've got to put put together yourself. I, I adore them. The whole family is reading them. Thank you very much, um, Suze. And that's a real success, Geordie. I can see we've hooked a family. You've done very well. Um, I think we should also just delve, if we can, Suze, into the um, Peter Temple interview uh, last Tuesday. He made a very interesting point about living with some of the characters, particularly in the Jack Irish books. Somebody once said, counted them and said there are 33 continuing characters in these novels. And I hadn't realised that. It's an enormous strain to wake them up every time you write a new Jack Irish book. I have to look around and say, hang on, and go and read them again and think, is this person going to appear again? In which case, what's happened to him since? So it's a, it's a big, um, it's a huge cast. It's like doing a, doing a big stage production. Everybody has to have a part. They have to have developed slightly. They have to develop again in the course of this book. It's really quite tiring, um, and I thought I wouldn't ever write a series, another series. I, I'll probably do one more Jack Irish book if the fates are willing. Well, that will come as a great um, celebration for one of your readers, well, Hannah. So. <laughs> Hannah in particular has sent me a, a note yes. on the text saying, will there be another Jack Irish book? I miss him, she says. Oh, no, well, that's very nice. Uh, people are attached to Jack. I, I've been astonished to find that. It's very gratifying. Um, and I like him as a character. I've been able to live with him for four books comfortably, and I could probably squeeze out one more. Um, some, I think it's hard to have a serious character, but people do, as it were, take them into their lives, and they seem more real um, to them perhaps than they do to me. Now, that was um, Peter Temple talking on Tuesday about the characters in his books and that idea that these reside with him mm. as um, people who he wakes up. It's a physical thing. Some dodgy bedmates. <laughs> but I, I do love, did anyone notice that there is in fact a little cameo appearance by Jack Irish in the closing uh, pages of of Truth? Uh, he's sitting in a coffee shop where Villani's having a very deep and dark conversation with a fellow policeman and they have a bit of banter between them and Jack Irish is very, very rude. But you can see that there's mutual respect passing back and forth. Now, Susanna, what's your take on Truth? Did you enjoy it? Oh, very much. I'm a Peter Temple fan, so I loved the Jack Irish series. I also thought Broken Shore was wonderful. And then reading Truth, I agree with your one of your previous callers who said it is like a jigsaw puzzle because you had to cash in. They talked about cash in from Broken Shore a lot, so then you had to go back and pre-read Broken Shore to see how it all interlocked. So it is like a puzzle, but it's a wonderful puzzle. And... Um, uh, I do entirely believe that the police force speak like that, I'm afraid. <laughs> um, 
so that's about it. I just wanted to speak in defence of truth. Oh, thank you, Elaine. Now it was uh, now your your Susanna. Susanna yes. Elaine was the was the caller who raised the questions about yes. the the style of language that that sort of um, annoying staccato uh, kind of punctuation. Incredibly short chapters too, which can be yes. satisfying and dissatisfying. It gives a sense of pace, but it can also be incredibly annoying because you think, oh, maybe we'll get the bulk of information here, and then you flip forward and you realise there's only another page that has to be unfolded here and the other thing that i'd like to comment is i just wonder how his um language and his his books travel overseas because to me it's all very melbourne and not that i'm from sydney but all this afl references i'm thinking of jack irish it's all very you you click into it because you know perhaps know a little bit about melbourne um i just it'd be interesting obviously they've awarded him prizes in Britain, but it is a very, um, what's the word? Yes, staccato or short, um, yes, shortened form. Thank you very much, Susanna. Geordie, do you have any thoughts on how well they, tra- how well these stories travel? I, I was talking with Yuski just before we came on about the notion of, of whether or not local books travel. And I think the answer is, yes, they do. The more local you make them, the more attractive they are to other writers. So people overseas will read um, uh, Peter Chorus in order to know what Sydney is like. And I think probably the same is true for Melbourne. Um, So I really hope that they do travel. I I think that only The Broken Shore and Truth have been published in the UK. I would love to see what the rest of the world thinks of the Jack Irish novels. Now, the number here is 1300 222702. Tania, good morning. Good morning, Sally. Um, how are you? I'm good. I'm Deborah. Sally was a couple uh, of people ago, but she's fantastic anyway. Don't worry. <laughs> keep keep going. What's your thought? Um, listen, I, I used to work in the emergency type of services, and I've got to tell you that that sort of language is used continuously. And I can absolutely believe that the boys in blue would speak like that to each other. It is a real revelation when you read it. And also the other thing is all of the sort of codes and the, and the kind of uh, easy familiarity. It's as though, um, you know, that's the thing that's hard, I think, reading a book like this. This is the first Peter Temple book I've ever read. And so I had to get used to this idea that these characters had these long-standing relationships and they would start a sentence approximately halfway through and there might be, it might be filtered through, you know, a couple of four-letter words. You just sort of have, you know, it was... That it's just sort of seemed to be the milieu, really. Yes, and and the the short um, chapters, I, I think that's good actually, because it's it, it encapsulates a certain moment in the time of the story. And I haven't read any any of Peter Temple's books before, but I'm certainly going to after after having read Truth. I think that's a lovely point you make that those those who work in in jobs that are close to death or violence or uh, corruption um, will probably adopt a kind of gallows humour towards these events as a way of taming them and, and, and making them um, not so so grim. And I think that that really does come out. And I, I assume that Temple is a very, you know, sort of has a great ear for, for, for what these individuals actually are saying when they're not in front of the, you know, television cameras. And I yeah. think, Tanya, it's really interesting that, if, that when you work in these areas or you've worked in emergency services areas, you feel the authenticity. Like that's a very strong verification of the approach that Temple has taken. 
Yes, it, it does really ring true. It's amazing. Thank you very much for calling in, Tanya. I love it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, Deborah. that's fantastic. Um, we've had loads of um, of uh, of texts too. This one from Susie who says, Retruth, I hated it, couldn't engage with any of the characters but liked Broken Shore. Um, John in St Ives says, Peter Temple spins a good yarn but his staccato slangish style is most annoying. Um, this one from, I think this is from, uh, I'm not quite sure. The thing that impresses me about Temple is how he, a migrant, has nailed the Australian vernacular. Love this book. Also, The Broken Shore. Fantastic plotting and writing. It's from Deb. So, although Adele says she's surprised it won the award, and it was interesting talking to um, Temple. He talked a little bit about how he worked. Have a listen. I write all the time. I mean, I'm never not writing something. Um, 365 days a year, I have to say. Um, I don't write an awful lot a day. I write so- In the morning, I usually look at what I've done the day before, and then I go and have coffee, and then I'll fiddle with stuff all day long and um, into the night, and then I'll dream about characters, dream scenes. Um, you live with it. There's no doubt about it. It's, uh, but in the beginning, it's really just trying to get the feel of it, trying to get it moving. It's very hard to get a book moving, in my experience. You can do um, five, six thousand words, and the book is, ha- hasn't moved an inch. And then, after a while, you'll suddenly feel that um, you're walking with it. And that's a very comforting feeling, because then there's the possibility that the book may be finished. That was um, Peter Temple talking on Tuesday in an interview about truth. Um, if you've got any thoughts, one three hundred triple two seven zero two. Geordie, one of the other things he said on that idea that he has an ear, a really good ear for language, was that he he listens particularly to talkback radio, commercial mm. talkback mm. radio, where everyone's sort of letting rip at each other, and he and he collects voices there. Yeah, no, absolutely. I thought that was really interesting because, um, as anyone who's read Truth will know, that there's a constant sort of, you know, Greek chorus going on in the airwaves, which is talkback, where you have this sort of, you know, angry shock jock who is constantly bemoaning the state of the, the nation. And, of course, the, the, the irony is that he doesn't know the half of it. It is far, far worse than he could imagine. But he's very unhelpful to the police in their investigations. That, that much is, is clear. But, yes, the, 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 the capital city's id, um, you know, on the airwaves, and he really does capture it well. Amanda, good morning. Oh, good morning. Tell me, what do you think about it? Well, um, I, I must say I've been really surprised by the people who have complained about the the dialogue which i just think is i just think it's you know the most realistic um kind of dialogue i I use it as an example of good dialogue actually um he catches the rhythms i think of the way people speak superbly um but the other thing i wanted to say was i think that the books certainly the broken shore and um truth maybe the broken shore even more um really lend themselves to being made into films Oh, absolutely. I would really love... And who who should play Villani and Cashin? I mean, this is... They're, they're both... I, I was keeping on casting in my head as I read, but I couldn't come up with anything good. Well, I kind of think... I don't know I don't know if he's the right physical type, actually, but I can just imagine him delivering the dialogue. Um, Tyrion Mora, who was the guy who played Martin D'Stavio in Frontline, 
Oh, fantastic. You know, Dennis DeNuto from the castle. I reckon he'd be a great cashin. <laughs> Thank you very much, Amanda. That's a wonderful thought. Thanks so much for chiming in. Um, Maria, Maria, good morning. Good morning, Deb. How are you? Good, thanks. That's good. Well, um, I actually chose this book before you did for my own book club and uh, very divided opinions. Half hated it, half loved it. I'm sort of sitting on the fence about it. I have to agree with the caller who wondered whether it translated very well overseas because I found it was very Melbourne-centric um, and I did think that if you were not an Australian you wouldn't know what the hell was going on. Um, but I think I enjoyed it. I ended up sitting on a beach in Phuket and finishing it off and thinking, I'm glad I got to the end. I found that each character had so much baggage, though. It was like they were totally weighed down with all the stuff that had happened previously in their lives and, and that felt very heavy to me. Um, but, uh, yeah, look, I'm still, yeah, yeah, I think, I think it was very, very interesting. I think it really would translate well into film, like your previous caller said. And I think it's worth ploughing through if anybody started it and says, I can't do this. Um, I think if they can get through that staccato-type um, speech and just keep on following the rhythm of the story, they will enjoy it if they get to the end. Thank you very much, Maria, and spoken like a true book club stalwart, <laughs> I must say. Now, Geordie, you've picked another one for next month. I have indeed, and I thought we should probably swerve 180 on this one. Um, we had three very important figures in Australian literature die this year. Um, Peter Porter, the, the great Australian poet who lived in London for many years. Um, Randolph Stowe, the great novelist and, and, and uh, poet, uh, who also lived in the UK. And the one who lived in Sydney, Jessica Anderson, died aged 93 in Elizabeth Bay a couple of months ago. And I wanted to come on and talk about just how important she was and what a wonderful figure uh, she was in, in post-war literary history. But instead, I thought we should just do a book. Tiralira by the River, it's... Her classic, it's the one that's still in print. You'll be able to find it in bookshops. Pan Macmillan publish it now. In second-hand bookshops, it should be widely available in libraries. It's only 141 pages long, but it is an ocean that runs underneath it. And I would very much like people to read it and explain to me the mystery of why a book so filled with sadness and regret and melancholy could leave you feeling so uplifted Thank you very much, Geordie, for coming in. Geordie Williamson, who's our literary critic.